Hello and welcome to the Culture Watch podcast, a podcast of speaking for him. My name is Andrew Gomison, and I'm privileged each and every Monday to be your host. I did want to give you a little bit of a housekeeping note. There may not be a Culture Watch podcast next week because I will be out of town on Monday. So if I can get it done before I leave, it may be on your streams, but if it is not, that just means I will join you again in two weeks. But I'm excited to be here today to share with you news for the week of September 11th. So I'm just going to start off today by reminiscing a little bit about September 11th, since that is the day we find ourselves on. I will never forget where I was during my generation's Pearl Harbor. I was downstairs in my room where I typically am, actually in this very room where I am currently recording, and I was on my computer doing college work. At the time, I think I was in my second year of college, and I was working on the computer, and I think I listened to a little bit of news before I began my day. That was something that I remember doing sometimes at that time in my life. And so I think I had heard the initial report of a commuter plane that possibly crashed into the World Trade Center. They thought it was a small plane, and although every plane crash is tragic, nobody thought much of it. But I think it was about an hour or so later, maybe even less than an hour, when a second plane crashed into the World Trade Center, and it was very shortly thereafter determined that terrorists had attacked the United States. I remember my brother running into the room and saying, hey, terrorists just attacked the United States of America, and I just froze. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And so I turned on my radio and listened for a few minutes more and then went to a news site on the web and just um, sat and listened for most of the day to the coverage of 9-11. And so I just remember that being something that really stuck out in my mind. And 9-11 has family significance for another reason, too, because it kind of started my family's commitment to the armed forces. Uh, My brother fully supported President George W. Bush in his acts against the terrorism of our day, and he wanted to be able to stand up with confidence and not as a hypocrite. So he joined the United States Army out of college when he graduated in 2008, and he served with distinction. He had deployments to both Iraq and Afghanistan, and I'm very proud of him, as I am of four other brothers and a brother-in-law who have spent time in the armed forces. And I am very proud of each and every member of our armed forces that writes a blank check to the United States every time they enlist and 
we are very blessed in this country to have a volunteer military such as we have. And I think we need to be thankful for that. A lot of people have varying political opinions and they need to realize that part of the reason that they are given the opportunity to have these political opinions is because people like my brothers put their all on the line for us to be able to have those freedoms. You have the freedom to diss the military, ironically, because of the military that stands in the gap for you. So I hope that's something for you to chew on as you contemplate where maybe you were 22 years ago today. And again, my brother um, running down the stairs that day to tell me that our country was under attack is something that I will never forget. And I'm sure many people uh, that were alive on Pearl Harbor Day would say the same, uh, that when they heard that the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor and then heard uh, the famous words of FDR the next day, um, yesterday, December 7th, is a day that will live in infamy. Those kind of days leave you never the same. So I just wanted to share that off the top of today's broadcast. I'm thinking of and praying for everyone that has been affected by 9-11, either through losing a family member or just through the traumatic events of the day. Um, If you served during 9-11 and you assisted in some way, my thanks go out to you, my gratitude goes out to you. Um, And if you lost someone in that tragedy, please know that I am sorry for you, but I'm grateful, especially if you are a relative of a first responder who helped out that day. You know, 9-11 was a dark time for our country, but one of the best things about it is that we unified and became one America, even if it was just for a brief time. And I've often heard people say, I do not want 9-11 to repeat itself, but I wouldn't mind if 9-12 and 13 would come back. And I wholeheartedly agree. We need to get back to a unified America, and we need to realize what a blessing it is to live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Well, I'm going to start out our news coverage today with a story out of New York, of all places, where teachers have won a lawsuit which will allow them to return to the classroom. A New York City judge ruling that 10 teachers fired by the New York Department of Education for refusing the COVID vaccine must be reinstated with back pay. Judge Ralph Porzio calling the decision to keep the employees out of classrooms, quote, arbitrary, capricious, and unreasonable. Michael Kane is one of those teachers, and he joins me now. Michael, great to have you on the program. Um, congratulations, reinstated with back pay. How does this, how do you feel about this ruling this morning? Thanks so much for having me. This ruling is a, a huge precedent 
that is going to resonate across New York State, across the country, uh, for all those who were displaced. But it is bittersweet uh, for a number of reasons. The judge only reinstated uh, 10 of us, two uh, were actually flatly denied. So our attorneys are working on that. But also, I went to work the next day. Judge Porzio looked me in the eye and told me my religious exemption had been approved. I should go to work. So I did. And I spoke to my principal, which she was fantastic. But she said the the Department of Education has this case under review. So I was not allowed to work this week, even though I was ordered back to. What does that mean? The Department of Education has this under review. There's a judge's order. I don't understand why you're not back at work. Well, this isn't my first rodeo. This is kind of par for the course. I think that it means uh, New York City is getting ready to appeal. But until they do appeal, they really should have had me back working. Um, but, uh, you know, New York City kind of does what it wants. They're pretty big and powerful. But listen, we've been in the courts for two years. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We're going to keep up the fight. Oh, we're going forward strong. So this well, the, New York City does what it wants. It's the Department of Education does. But the judge said arbitrary and capricious. You know, I also I, I see this. There's another story going on around right now. You know, there's a ton of illegal immigrant children in the in the city right now. And they they get to go into the school district. They're required. But they apparently have a 30 day reprieve from the vaccine mandates that, that American school children also have to have in order to get into the school system. So every which way you add this up, it's just these mandates. It's arbitrary. Who has to abide? Who does not have to abide? I don't. It's like the Department of Education is Caesar sitting in the middle of the Coliseum. Thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> That you nailed it. It's nonsensical. It's been nonsensical since the beginning. Judge Porzio states in his statement that it's been found that the COVID vaccine does not stop transmission, which was the reason they put the mandate in in the first place. Okay, so I am excited that this mandate came down from this judge that New York teachers should be allowed to return to work without getting a vaccine. I'm actually a little shocked that that still is in effect, that even as COVID protocols had dropped, that New York was insistent on a vaccine rule for its faculty was somewhat surprising to me, but not shocking because this is New York. But I want to bring something before you. I know there are people out there that get every booster that is offered, and you certainly have the constitutional right to do that. However, if you don't think you will be protected unless I also get the booster, that doesn't seem like a very effective shot to me. I said at the time that the first uh, shots were coming out that any shot that requires you to get a booster every 90 days, which is essentially what that first year was like because I know there are people that had four shots in that first year. How can you call something an effective vaccine when you're getting four shots in a year? And how can you get every booster available and still be afraid of people walking around who may or may not have that vaccine? And how can we look at the data that we now have where we see young people having heart problems at extremely higher rates than they were before the vaccine was administered 
and say there's no connection. So these are things that we need to consider when thinking about this story. Now, the one thing that was confusing about it to me was he said apparently there were 12 total teachers and 10 of them got exempted and two of them did not. So I'm a little confused about that part, but I'm really excited to see the wheels of justice working on behalf of COVID victims. And I'm just going to throw in a little word about another story that I'm not going to go into detail on, but one in which a man from Moscow, Idaho in August was vindicated because he was awarded, I believe, $20,000 in a lawsuit against the city because they arrested him for not wearing a mask during an outdoor worship service. And so my hope is that if we are in for another round of COVID restrictions, that people will think about these stories as they are proceeding because we are not going to be happy about this. And I don't think that we should just carte blanche uh, comply. You know, I think we were taught a lot in 2020 and 2021 about the power that government could have if we allowed them to have it. And there was a quote that has gone over and over around my brain since I first heard it. And that is something to the effect of, if you give the government unilateral authority during a state of emergency, they will create an emergency to maintain unilateral authority. And I think there's a lot of wisdom there, and we need to take it seriously. So on that note, let us consider what the Biden administration may be trying to push as far as mandates are concerned. America's on high alert as mask mandates are back in the mix. And the folks have spoken. There is no going back. So as we know, mask confusion is running rampant in the White House. Mandates the returning to pockets of the country and performative mask theater. That's back. Whoopi Goldberg caught the Rona in. Here she is alone in a dark room wearing a mask. And just have COVID. I'm still testing positive, apparently. I can't wait to get back and hang out. But in, until then, it's me and my mask. And I'm sort of confined to my room. What happened to following the science? A vast Cochrane Library review of dozens of studies found masking does not stop the spread, does not stop transmission. Full stop. Let's review what happened when the strong arm of government used panic and fear to take over. Let's look at that. According to the Fed economist, 200,000 businesses shut down during the first year of the pandemic. And kids, they're still suffering from catastrophic learning loss. History and civic scores for eighth graders hitting record lows. That's according to the nation's report card. And look at this. Nearly 30 percent, so almost one third of public school kids missed more than 10 percent of school from 2021 to 2022, irreversible learning loss, developmental setbacks, mental illness inflicted upon them 
by power-hungry science deniers that hate kids, bureaucrats, and union bigwigs. So Earth to Mr. President and the sick Democrats that want to go back to masks and mandates, it's not happening. It's not happening without a fight, at least. And that fight, ironically, is starting in Gavin Newsom's blue state of California. The Huntington Beach City Council taking matters into its own hands, banning mask and vaccine mandates at the local level. Mask madness? Try that in a small town. I never thought I would live to see the day when I would say props to a town in California, but props to Huntington Beach, California, for taking a stand against masks and mask mandates. Now, I don't know how this is going to stand up against Gavin Newsom as the governor, but I applaud this city, municipality, for taking this stand against egregious mandates. We've already been down this road. We have discovered that masking does not stop the spread of the disease, And my experience in the early days of COVID was it was the most careful people that got sick first. You know, I got COVID in December of 2021, along with my mom and most of my family. But it was definitely not the first round of COVID. I would say that during the 82-day lockdown... Uh, that was the original result of COVID. I was the healthiest I've ever been in a lot of ways because that's when I got on my vitamin regimen. My mom fed me well because I wasn't working. I wasn't going to restaurants. So I really had a very healthy lockdown. That was physically. Emotionally is another matter because it's very difficult to be stuck in the house all the time. But again, my experience was that the most careful among us were the ones that got COVID. And so I don't think that masks have proven themselves to be effective. I know that I struggled with wearing a mask. Um, I had to fight through the potential for panic attacks and it was harder to breathe with a mask Definitely hard to talk to students with a mask. At the time of COVID, I was working for Potter's House Christian School. And so it was a struggle all the way around. I don't think this is a road that we want to go down again. And as far as business closures, there were so many business closures that when Biden got into office and businesses started opening up, he tried to act like this was something that he did to give an economic revival to America when in reality it was just people being allowed to go back to work. I remember when the two weeks to flatten the curve started, my thought was, well, yes, I believe closing the school for two weeks to deep clean it and to think about some protocols that could be in place when we came back to school would be a good thing. And the same thing for businesses at large. But I never felt like uh, this was the goal. I always felt like they were like, well, let's just keep it closed a little longer or a little longer or a little longer. And it kept extending. It went from two weeks to 82 days. 
And all it did was put people out of work. It increased depression. As I said, it was mentally a very hard time for me. And so I don't think it would be a good idea to go through this again. And I don't think it's a mistake, the timing either, uh, because Biden is facing re-election and he wants to throw whatever monkey wrench he can into the electoral process. Remember the last time we had an election in 2020, we had a mail-in process for voting here in the state of Michigan and in other states, but there was no resolution passed to make mail-in voting legal in Michigan And there was no explanation for how it would work. It was simply foisted on the American people. So we had no idea of how it worked or what actual regulations were in place. And that's the exact thing that many of our government officials want in place once again because they want to maintain power over the situation. I know in some ways this week's podcast can seem like a downer because I've had two stories now that related with COVID and I referenced a third, but we're going to turn a corner and have a couple stories that relate some more positive news. And first we're going back to On the Road with Steve Hartman. At the bottom of a hole in Chesterfield County, Virginia, utility worker Calvin Gaudet is fixing a leaky water main. But no gusher down here compares to the fountain of good deeds he delivers up there. Whether it's buying coffee for the next car, take care of people that behind me, or groceries for a random shopper, Calvin gives away about half his income to total strangers. I'm gonna feed the truck up for you. In return, he may get a thank you. At best, but he remains undaunted. You don't never know. You could do something for somebody or talk to someone and you can change the whole situation. He says it happened once. You can come around. Thank you. A few months ago, Calvin was in this Burger King drive through when he happened to look in his rearview mirror and saw a woman who just seemed sad. So Calvin did what Calvin does, bought her meal. Only this time, his random act of kindness would not soon be forgotten. Somebody to do something that nice for you on that very moment when I thought nothing could make me happy again. It just touched my heart. This is Andy. Denise Walters had just lost her husband of 41 years. I just wish she was still here. And says Calvin's kindness was exactly what she needed at exactly the right time. In fact, it had such a profound effect, she chased him down, told his boss, and got him recognized before the county board of supervisors. He saw that I was upset and showed compassion to a complete stranger. How you doing? Since then, they have stayed in touch and grown their circle. Nice to meet you. I'm Chris. Nice to meet you, Chris. I told you, you may have lost your husband, but you gained a family. He's just an amazing man. Just an amazing man. He's also her new role model. But I want you to have this. Denise is now doing the same thing. He has shown me the way. So you feel like you're on a mission now? Oh, absolutely. If he can do this, I can do this. 
Okay. And You're maybe. Welcome. Can I have a hug? We can do this. We'll go spread that joy somewhere, okay? Steve Hartman. Thank you. On the road in Chesterfield County, Virginia. I really like this story because it shows that kindness can go a long way. And I want to preface my comments by saying it does not have to be monetary. In this man's case, they said that he gives away up to half of his income on other people. But I don't think it has to be money that you give away. It could be time. I saw a meme recently that said, if you see someone without a smile, give them yours. So even wearing a smile when you're going out and about and doing your errands or your duties around town, and even in your own home, giving someone a smile can give them encouragement and hope for the day. Or a kind word, a note written. One of my missions in life is to be a beacon of encouragement, not just on this podcast, but in my personal relationships. I really feel called to cultivate one-on-one relationships with people that will draw them to the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus was all about spending time with the individual and cultivating those individual relationships. It may not seem like it because a lot of the miracles that are recorded are recorded in front of a big crowd, like there will be a list of unnamed people that he healed, But if you think about some of the most famous miracles, he definitely reached out to the individual. For the lame man that was put through the roof, he reached out to that lame man. And he showed by healing the man physically that he had power to heal him spiritually, that he had power to forgive his sins. For the man born blind, he sought him out after healing him physically and brought him to spiritual rebirth. For the woman with the issue of blood, he met her on a one-on-one basis while he was on the way to heal a little girl, also on a one-on-one basis. But it wasn't an interruption to him. He met her, she reached for the hem of his garment, he felt power go out from him, and he spent a few moments with her, and he called her daughter. What a wonderful thing. So I just wanted to give you something to think about as far as the power of your words and knowing that the things we do and say can have a dramatic effect on others. All right, well, I don't talk about sports a whole lot on this show, but I'm pretty excited about the football season. And the Detroit Lions opened this past Thursday with the Chiefs and it was a pretty exciting experience. And the Lions are going to go for it. They're going to throw for it. And it's knocked down. Justin Reed in there. Get Harrison Butker's field goal range. Mahomes, plenty of time. Looking in the middle. It's dropped again by Tony, who has had a really poor night. It's not a confident catch. Ordinarily, you'll see him really stick his hands out, and it just sort of, you know, when you have a bad night, no matter what it is, sometimes it can build on itself, and 
Kadarius Tony really struggling right now. He's had the success. Mahomes throws it inside underneath, incomplete again. C.J. Gardner Johnson comes up and gets Sky Moore. Him in the back, in to protect. Mahomes flings it in the middle. It is incomplete. Gardner Johnson went up. He's trying to drop it into Rasheed Rice. Lions bring pressure again. Flag for a false start. Fourth and 25. Landy reconsidered. False start. Offense number 74. Five-yard penalty. Fourth down. Wow. It took all night. Basically the same kind of operation out there on the outside. And there you see Jawan Taylor playing slot receiver. Finally got, got busted on one. It's defense. On fourth and 25. And Mahomes looking to make a play. Flings it across his body. And it is Watson went up for it. Sky Moore went up for it. Neither got it. We hit the two-minute warning. Third and two. Montgomery sifting forward. Has the first down at the 20-yard line. Kansas City takes its final timeout with a minute 42 remaining. And some of those players, but watch the reaction now of this football team. This is a milestone moment for them to come in here and get this win. Not the same old Lions, but one and O Lions. They come in to Kansas City on opening night and beat the champs. So I just want to say a few words about this game. First of all, as a Lions fan, how can you not be excited? When I first saw that the Lions were opening the entire NFL season, Against the Chiefs, I was a little worried. I And I actually said that a good showing against them would be a close loss because I never expected them to win. I actually expected them to lose in the neighborhood of 42-7. to seven. That's how little faith I had in this idea that the Lions culture was changing. But as I sat and contemplated this game after the Lions played it, I realized some things. First of all, I realized that the Lions are 9 and 11 dating back to last season, 9 out of the last 11 games. They went into Arrowhead Stadium, which means they were on the road. And they beat the team that won the Super Bowl last season. Now, it can be pointed out that the Chiefs were without some of their talent. That is for sure. But it can also be pointed out that there were a couple Lions missing as well. And the fact of the matter is that no matter what your team makeup is, you have to play to win. And the most exciting thing for me as a Lions fan was that with five minutes and 30 seconds to go in the game, it was 21-20. And at the end of the game, it was 21-20. Why is this significant? It's significant to me because a lot of times when the Lions do win, 
they have to win in a shootout. Most people would have thought if they heard that the Chiefs lost and didn't hear the score, they might think, well, it must have been like 45 to 42 or something like that because we all know Patrick Mahomes is an amazing quarterback and he's not going to be held in check. And the Lions, if they are going to win, they're just going to have to keep slinging it up and hope to win that way. But the Lions proved that they can move the ball on offense and they proved that they could hold the Chiefs on defense. And yes, the Chiefs were without some talent. But the reality is they are Super Bowl champions. They've been Super Bowl champions twice in the last four years. So they have the team to compete with anybody on any given day. So I am proud of the Lions. I'm glad that they put up the fight that they did. And I hope that it bodes well for the rest of the season. Well, that's about all I have time for this week on Culture Watch. I realized that it was a little bit heavy with the COVID stuff in the beginning. I hope you appreciated the lighthearted stuff as well. My biggest prayer for you is that you will take a look at these news stories and realize that we have the opportunity to speak out for our rights as far as these COVID mandates go. And we have the opportunity and the responsibility to be a light to others, to do good to them and to give of ourselves for the betterment of our society and the people around us. Remember, Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So that is my challenge this week to you and to myself that we would love the Lord and love others. For Culture Watch, this is Andrew Gomison saying, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.